to Full Service Radio. Full Service Radio. Full Service. Full Service. Full Service. Full Service Radio. Welcome to the Dolcezza Sherbert Experience on Full Service Radio. We are live from the Line Hotel. I am Violeta from Dolcezza, your host today, and I'm here with Rob, my co-host. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And husband. Uh-huh. We make gelato <laughs> here in Washington, D.C. We have nine locations. Um, and we're here today with Rose Previtt. She's the owner of award-winning restaurants Compass Rose and Maiden in Washington, D.C., Hi, Rose. How Hello. are you today? I'm so well. Thank Welcome you guys for Rose. having me. Yeah, we're kind very excited. Kind of the hot, hottest in the city, you know? Oh, uh, yeah. Only the hottest. I Only the hottest. I don't know about that, you guys. <laughs> I, do, I do have fire, so I guess you, that is actually accurate. You do it's have fire. Your hotness. <laughs> yes. So I, I was researching your story. Um, and basically, the feeling I had from both restaurants that you own is that you created an extremely personal experience. And that's what I felt, and that they were an extension of who you are. And it seems to me that through discovery and adventure, both internal and external, they came about. Am I right? You are completely correct, yes. Um, I, I struggle to not be personal about things. Um, that can be good and bad, right? Um, get my heart broke a lot, usually. And in business, like you guys know, That definitely can be difficult when your heart is in what you're doing. Um, but I think it came out well in the restaurants. They are based, yeah, they're very much personifications of <laughs> what I think hospitality is, how I want you to experience food. Um, and then I want you to kind of think about travel in both of them. Travel is a huge part of my life. And literally the walls are made up of things that we've gathered on our travels which remind me of what you're wearing right now talk about personal like i look at you and i think about the textiles in maidan it's true oh yeah. my god i'm like so obvious right and i didn't even no, think no it's that the way. opposite of obvious it's actually what you're saying you are yourself so much that that comes out and i think that's beautiful well thank you and i i was really fortunate to find people that understand me right because i can't do everything i couldn't put everything on the wall myself i knew what i wanted on the wall and i knew what i wanted it to say um i work with an amazing designer i'm going to give her a shout out martina crivella she's just her own business there's no formal name or anything like that she lives in brooklyn now But she did Compass Rose with me. And when I found the building that Maidan is in, I was like, you have to come to here. I can't do this without you. Because she just gets me. Like, I bring her a bunch of things that I've collected. And I say, can we do this? Can we make this look like this and make people feel this? And she says, yep, yeah, I know exactly what you need. And then we just kind of create these spaces. That's awesome to have that person. Because to be able to translate an idea that you have and then have them actually make it or design it and create it, that, for me, that's been 99 out of 100 times it's a failure because because people tend to put their own impression yes. into it and so it's like no that's not exactly what i was saying and that's such a key um part of the team to be able to do that to manifest an idea oh yeah i'm so fortunate to have found her um we actually you know on this we talk about entrepreneurship i'm sure today and I, you guys will appreciate this on entrepreneurs i mean we lived in compass rose so compass rose is a row house 130 years old on t street and my grandfather who our immigrant kind of success story is that he eventually after working in coal mines in pennsylvania as an italian american immigrant and all this stuff he um got an italian grocery store in new jersey and he lived above it and it was a market and a, and a butcher shop for many many years and in the summers i would go to the store and hang out with him and I just thought it was so romantic to live above your business well you know he failed to tell me that if you live in your business you will work all of the time um, but that's what I did with Compass Rose We, I moved in I lived there through the build out Martina actually lived with me and my husband at some point but my husband's barely there because he's um a traveling journalist and she lived with me we couldn't have been any closer and we like would go downstairs work all day and all night sleep for a few hours and just continue the build out so it was a very much a mom and pop project and there was a lot of love that went into it and I say that she and I you know literally put our feelings and both were going through interesting times in our life and our personal lives at that time and we just put it in the walls so That's if you awesome. feel something a little bit it makes you cry like i always say it's like water for chocolate if you read me you know, yeah, oh i love that right? movie amazing. so much that movie is so romantic my mom made me watch that movie oh, and she God. was like this is us and yeah. this is how we live and you need to understand that everything is done with feeling i can actually you see know? you like, as the main character like I, you could, yeah, you could play that part i could so be johnny quickly. depp the pirate <laughs> 
And I, you know, that's what we said, you know, this but that's, idea. that's not, that's chocolate. Ah, right? fuck, I'm sorry. Yeah, <laughs> I was wondering, I was like, wait, I think. No, there is no Shani Depp, it's all Latino, there is no Ringos. I have to go watch Oh, it's amazing. Chocolate, that's amazing. And Let's talk about chocolate. He's like, wait, let's go to what I know. The book is also wonderful, but this idea that this woman, you know, through all of this love and pain puts it into the food and the people cry when they eat and I kind of feel like that happens at Compass Rose a lot people are just they always like we've had divorce we've had engagements we've had weddings we've had I just feel like there's just I mean all restaurants do but this one in particular people seem to have an emotional connection to and I'm like that wasn't an accident Martina and I meant for this to happen and you know, it's working in, in the space of um, restaurants and building out restaurants and design and you know most of the time again it's mostly the architects that come into a restaurant tour and it's their vision and it's not the the restaurant tours or the owners or the chefs that's i find that all the time and that always blew me away as far as like but you care so passionately about the food that you're cooking how can you not care just as passionately about the space that people come to to eat because that is you know as is important for the whole experience and so that's what you talk about doing that space is very similar to we're very, for better and for worse, you know, there's a lot of, I think it could be easier if you have the package deal from the architect come in and they do it and you have your hands kind of clean from it, but you don't, you can feel that personal touch when you build out that space. Yeah. It, remind, it reminds me of DuPont a lot, like the third store where we went in and got offered the space and it was all, and it was also, it was used to be the Afghani Bank, a bank, bank oh, of really? um, Afghanistan. Um, but it's an old building, and it had paint, yellow drywall just wrapped the whole space because um, it was a tie shop or a clothes shop or something. My father-in-law, part of the business, he's like, he is pure finance. So everything for him, the first impulse is about lowest cost, how to do it. And, and so when he said, let's just paint the drywall white, and we'll build out within that space, I was like... Hell no. And so I went down to DuPont myself and I got the hammers out and started busting all the drywall, With busting the all crew. the pla- I got my kitchen crew and that. we'd had 10 people in there for two weeks and we did all the, the demo and no cost other than, you know, paying the help from the kitchen um, to be able to build out that space. And, it, and you can really feel that in the space that you inhabit is the personal touch because of course it's there it is and it's that idea of energy right like especially old buildings they come with it yeah and i think i with both spaces actually i wasn't you know searching them out i didn't research them they kind of found me and both times when i walked into compass rose i just knew it was my place um and i wouldn't look at anything else i didn't look at anything else our lease negotiation took three months my business partner who is more the numbers guy and had more experience even, you know, Mike was sort of like, okay, maybe we should start thinking about something else. This isn't going so well. I would have none of it. And just to give you just a little bit more backstory that is kind of funny, I it, I was based on feeling there was some ugly bright green drywall, same thing, um, covering the walls. But it was this beautiful old row house. And I'm like, I know there's brick under there, right? We signed the lease not knowing if there was or not. And like a dork, I went down to the library in Chinatown, um, the Martin Luther King Jr. Library. It has a great DC archive section. And I looked up the building permit. And I found out that the guy that built the house in 1887 was a brick maker. That was literally how he made his fortune and was able to develop these homes. I'm like, done. I know it's under there. But actually, when I found that building permit on top of that, I discovered it was issued on my birthday in 1887. Very meant to be. Then I was done. I'm like, this is my building. Nobody can take it from me. Um, Follow the signs. Yeah. So there were lots of signs. There's been like a lot of, like I said, just, you know, and I am a little hocus pocus like this. We are too. And we love all stuff. Yes. skeptical hocus pocus anti new age kind of approach <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> scientific that's a whole new genre you just made <laughs> yeah, <that's laughs> like, um, and your spaces are so beautiful guys it's obvious how much love and attention you put well, into thank them. you so much so so you were talking about compass rose i know you went through a battle with the neighborhood for the liquor license i know it took a lot to open that space and it was not a commercial space like you were saying 
So tell me about opening yeah. Compass Rose. Yeah, if anybody out there ever needs to um, open a restaurant in a building that wasn't meant to be a restaurant, I'm your they girl. They can call you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because I'm in, like, I apparently love to do this and make life harder for myself. Um, with the row house, it is complicated and it is mixed use. So the houses next to us are residential. But legally, I can put a restaurant in there. But at the time, this is 2013, and the neighborhood was going through a lot of the growing pains, right, of a neighborhood that for so many years was blighted and and undeveloped since the riots in the late 60s. You know, U Street is two blocks away. That was the heart of the riots in the late 60s. Um, We were just on the, you know, kind of in the middle somewhere of that kind of development. And so there were still some neighbors who were pushing back. Um, guys that had moved there probably like 10, 15 years ago, basically some old white guys, I'm not going to lie, that's who like, they just were angry and decided that they did not want me to do this because they were trying to limit all the businesses. So much anger with the old white guys now. I'm sorry. <laughs> I just want to make clear. taken away from them. I want to make clear who this was. <laughs> this is not like people that have lived there since the 60s. No, no, no. These are guys that moved there when it was rougher. I admit you were pioneers and you got your houses cheaper. But I'm about to make your house worth a ton more, and I'm not going to bother you. But they were just intent that I was going to open that bar bar and make it some kind of club. I'm like, it's a row house, and I'm living in it. Like, what? Why would I want that kind of noise when I'm upstairs? And it didn't matter. It, it, you guys, they didn't listen. It didn't matter. I spent months, six months altogether, fighting them brutally in like neighborhood meetings. Um, there's a whole system here in D.C. that you have to go through to get the liquor license, where they allow these, you know, your neighbors to have a, a very big voice. But what they don't tell you, if you're a small business owner, is that you're going to have to pay lawyers to fight people like that. I spent thirty thousand oh. dollars on lawyers in the nine months to get my liquor. That was never in our budget, and we are mom and pop. This is my first business we have no money let alone 30 grand for lawyers if you actually are just allowed to go in and get your license like you're supposed to be theoretically it's fifteen hundred dollars just to give you an idea and you felt like a lot of that was because you were a young woman with no restaurant experience absolutely and this group was they were organized to kind of stop liquor licenses they were trying to stop them and put a cap on liquor licenses in the neighborhood and i think they saw me as the perfect example and like someone they could beat because it was just me I didn't have a lot of resources they knew I was inexperienced so other businesses were coming in chefs even from out of town Boston New York at the time but they went after me because they thought I was easy prey and um, they didn't know that I I'm quite so, the fighter. So, what, do you see them now? <laughs> the, the, like after you open your restaurant and you prove them all wrong, and then you had all this success. Where are those people? Are do they dare to come to your still have place? old white guy neighbors? Do you I've, feed them? I well, you know, it's so funny. In if the you, spirit of hospitality, thank you for understanding. You guys are already on to me. You get this. The one guy, the guy that gave me the worst trouble, came in and apologized finally after a couple months. And it was really hard for me to look at him. I mean, he had been this emblem of like, you're going to keep me, you know, from getting this thing I want so much. And I, with the money we had already put into it, I didn't know if I would be able to do it again. That was the thing. If I didn't get the license, there might not be a Compass Rose, right? And I thought it was my one chance. I had just moved back from being out of the country for, you know, a few years. I was riding on this as like all my hopes and dreams. So I took it very personally. So when this guy walked in, I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. And I said to myself, what would my mother do? <laughs> and my mother, she's the religious, very spiritual woman who was like, you will feed him and you will even give it to him for free because you're going to like reject this bad energy and you're going to get rid of this bad karma. And, and I did, and I fed him and I didn't charge him. And that man individually cost me thousands and thousands of dollars, but I didn't. And I have this, you know, it's that old saying and I, it is biblical. So regardless of your religion or anything, I think it applies. It's this idea of, you know, never turning away a stranger because they might be you know, angels unaware. And I really do believe that. And I don't, you know, this guy came into my life for some reason, um, but we, we counteracted that. And he's come in many times since. There are still a couple holdouts, definitely. Never going to apologize. Still don't want me there, even though we've never caused any trouble. But it is what it is. I don't know why they just don't sell their houses and move to the, like desert islands or something. Like, there's no people. You have the money to do it now. Just go. But they're still there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. yeah people, no. I mean, I think a lot of cases, it's like people, maybe miserable is too strong of a word. But if you're unhappy, don't like you. You kind of want to stay unhappy. You've invested a lot of time and energy of being yes. unhappy, and so it's, it's like something that hater, like spit you know? it out and yeah. make it's others around you also unhappy because that makes you feel. But I think there's really a deep down mm-hmm. I think drive we, of there's that, a lot so. of people who are not instru- introspective, and I think it comes from that. You know, like if you actually take the time to look within, but you know, it's the easiest 
thing to do is blame whatever is outside oh, yeah. for your own problems. To blame outside because then you don't have to take responsibility for your own shit. Kind right. Of thing. Of course. You know? So it's easier, but it actually it's not easier. Yeah. It's worse, much worse. <laughs> I so agree with you guys. If so they ever talk to me, I'll say just that. <laughs> but I don't think they're ever going to talk just to me. <laughs> speed down me. I think you. So, so you were talking about before. I want to go back to when you were talking about your grandfather and the grocery store in Jersey. And, and when I was reading about you, I read that you know your mother was Lebanese, your father um, came from Italy, Sicilian, not only Italian, right? So Very specific. Yes, thank a, you. And your mother ran a catering business out of your kitchen in your small town in Ohio. Which, by the way, when I was reading about this, I was like, okay. So Rose represents to me the perfect contemporary Americana because you have the immigrant background, the middle, the Midwestern background, and and you are like the merge of both worlds, you know. And it's just such a like you know a representation of of who we are today in this country. Oh, well, thank you. No, I, I appreciate that. It is a unique. I guess I fit into a unique category because um, it is a very small town in Ohio that I am from. But where, there's a where, where from in Ohio? Ada, Ohio. Ada. Population 3,000. That makes it a village. It's technically the village of Ada. Wow. I'm very proud to be from there. I was very much raised by that village. And it's true. It's one of those towns where everybody knew everybody. Everybody took care of everybody. Is it, is it very white? It or very was much it so. Immigrant? Yeah. Okay. No, no, no. We were kind of the ambiguously ethnic people when I was growing up. There is a small college there. Um, and th so there was some international community there, but you know how small towns, and uh, there's a lot of movies from the 80s about this, where it's like this small university in the small town, but they're very divided. It's like townies, essentially, is what you're called, right, if you're from the town and they're separate. So the international community at that time was not part of the community, but where it did play in was that my mom, you know, started cooking and the university was a main client, right, because there were people there, and that's where my dad taught, so that's how we got there. My dad went to law school there. And then, you know, first guy in his family to go to college, all that stuff, and he just kept going to school. So he didn't take over the family business, which was my grandfather's grocery store. So I do feel like I channel my grandfather a little on this, and I skipped a But generation. But didn't your father have a sausage cart, too, or something? Well, was that, like, on the side? Yeah, as you're talking about people's, like, we were just saying. Can't kind of beat the Italian out of him, right? No, <laughs> and I think some of it was a little guilt, right? Was it called private Italian sausage? Private that has to be the name private of sausage. your next restaurant. <laughs> sausage. That's so your perfect. third. That's the third place, Fortune I Unfortunately, my dad has no idea what a podcast is, so he'll probably never hear this. <laughs> Otherwise, he'd be on Shout the phone. I mean, yeah, he'd be on the phone right afterwards, like, yeah, Rose, Rose. I think they're right. <laughs> well, Al's Market, actually, my grandfather's name was Al. That is the LLC name for Compass Rose, and it's on the wall. I did have, like, a little mural. If you ever see Al's Market, that is a little shout-out to my grandfather. So that is there. Um, but I think, you know, my dad always loved food. He was grazed in the store, but I think felt that pressure that, an, you know, immigrant families put on their kids to go to college and he just kept going and going and going he went to you know grad school in Detroit where he met my mom now in Detroit there's the big Middle Eastern community and that's been there for years and years and so they met there and then he went to Ohio for law school and never left but on the weekends as kids um yeah we would in addition to the Lebanese food during the week we'd be making sausage from like the scratch in our kitchen as well the house by the way not that big there are four kids and we were just crammed in there no business license i'm sure no 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 that was, it was the no 80s. fighting with the neighborhood no no no, no one knew then, about it no you could literally the, the, or everyone knew about it but it was okay no it was okay because everyone loved the sausage so you could just give it out and people would be quiet it was like hush money it was like well, we'll give you like five pounds of sausage and they'd be like okay we're fine with whatever you're doing in there um it was a bit it was very popular and we would just prepare it all week in the home and then we'd go to fairs and festivals on the weekend and in the meantime my dad's like a lawyer and a college professor and this is what he was more known for <laughs> for sure and my brothers and I you know as kids you don't want to be doing this this is not cool this is not interesting food trucks don't exist there's no sexy culture around this we're just child labor as far as we were concerned at the time um, amazing experience obviously he was very smug when he walked into Compass Rose for the first time looks around he's like so now you're doing street food for a living right, <laughs> right. not lost on me dad yeah you were right and then you know the Lebanese food probably comes into play a little bit more at Maidan which is more regional whereas Compass is the whole world is represented on the menu from any continent um, at Maidan we're just more North Africa and the Middle East and that was started by a devotion to the food that I grew up cooking with my mom which was the Middle Eastern food did you feel like an outsider or, or were you very much integrated into the town did, did this whole like were you one of the townies oh I was so a townie <laughs> you were a townie yeah. <laughs> but I was again almost like a blade runner like you're saying like I crossed cultures right yeah I was definitely part of the town but the college I you know I, I was accepted there because my dad was there but I could see both sides and 
Definitely, it was not cool when I was younger. I, it, you did feel like an outsider. It felt like, you know... The, you were we, eating weird stuff. Were you weird My stuff? mom was really into natural food, and I grew I'm up sorry. eating, like, tofu and drinking kombucha that she brewed in my kitchen, and brown rice, oh, and awesome. I, like, I wasn't able to drink Cokes or have burgers, yep. and that was my karma, and that, that was <laughs> the weirdness I went through. So I was, I remember eating in the school lunch cafeteria, in the school cafeteria, and hiding my food. Yep. I didn't want anybody to see what I was eating. Yep. Under the and table. And begging my mother to make a burger mm. and french fries <laughs> when I had a, a play date, because I was ashamed that she was going to give them lentils with, yep. you know, some weird... Um, replacement for meat. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, I know that move. Mine yeah. was typically because it was pita bread. So right. I didn't have any other bread in the house except for pita bread. And no one, this is the 80s. There's no food network. This is the 80s and 90s. There's no, no internet. S- naked pita chips. No, none of it, right? And food. she'd do like a chicken cutlet or like worse, you know, lamb, which was at the time not a, a meat that anyone was even eating there, even though they raised, it's a rural community. So a lot of animals were raised there. But at the time, you didn't go local. All that stuff was shipped out. So it wasn't like the grocery store was full of, of lamb. So we would travel back to Detroit or Toledo, which was very close to where I grew up um, to get a lot of the things that we needed to cater. But it was, you know, very much a message early on from her that we are going to overcompensate on culture so you don't lose it in this small community. It was about two and a half hours to get to Detroit from there. And she's like, we will explain to these people who we are through food. There's no other way to do it. And then by high school, it started, people thought it was cool. Like, they were into food. People knew that it was good food at my house. And, and my mom was thrilled to cook for everyone. So finally, it kind of came around. But junior high is rough. Like, the pita sandwich, move under the table, take a bite, put it back on. But they can smell it from across the table. Because you know there's, like, onions and garlic and everything. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and I never bought a lunch. I mean, I got milk. That was about it. That's all I was allowed to buy. My mom brought me the lunch every day. Oh. Like, at lunchtime, so I would be warm. And I would eat healthy. Oh my you know, goodness. It was, and she baked the bread, but it was wheat bread, 100% wheat. Dude, I was eating hamburgers, Amazing. french fries, and milkshakes every day in school. And I See, you were it. that kid. I was jealous oh, man. of you. Oh, man. Mayonnaise, ketchup. Oh, man. I was junk food. And my husband's like that, too. He tells stories. You know, look, this is the way it worked. My parents were really traditional. We lived in a very affordable community, so my mom could afford to do this. I know even with, you know, a lot of my friends, they're all working and raising their kids because they live here, and there's just, this is not even a possibility that yeah. you could produce food like that. So, and of course, retrospect, we feel fortunate right yeah. and my husband tells stories he was raised by a single mother who was in grad school and he'd eat cold chef boy or d out of a can yeah. until she really you know not because she had just forgotten to feed him or something like that and so we swap these stories but we come from very different food backgrounds and a lot of it's just you know how the cards that life dealt you like do you yeah. have time to do that or do you not violet um, and i come from completely opposite backgrounds and upbringings and parents and influences as well very similar to what you're saying yeah 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 so so i also read that your family ate together every night and rarely ate at restaurants and and that's something that we really try to do in the house um eat together at the table and and there's so many studies that actually show that that's the best thing that you can do that your kids are happier and healthier and they do better in school i mean when you start reading about it it's outstanding what just sitting together at the table does for you so preparing food and sharing food yeah Yeah. portion control you make healthier choices and it's that time to you know in these in this insane world and back then it wasn't as complicated right but we still sat and and talked and that was also family visits which i'm sure you guys did too and a lot of people do but we would just sit around and eat and talk and eat and talk and I, you know, I, I always loved it. I didn't even realize at the time I could make a living out of it. But I think that's the essence of what both of my restaurants are about. We just want you to sit, to commune, to, to meet new people. You know, that happens a lot at both places. Um, Compass Row is a little bit more bar-centric. So the idea is literally sit there, get to know someone you don't know, sit at the bar where you're, you're squished in together. And Maidan, we have multiple high-top communal tables. This is this idea that you might actually sit with a stranger and get to know them and you know in our American way of like needing all this personal space both of my restaurants take away your personal space which is often you know you can see on Yelp that not everybody appreciates that but you know I'm not I'm unapologetic about it it's, it's what I intended and if you don't want it you don't have to come but I you know traveling the world and in my family it was just like touch space you know it wasn't as, the, the touch and the community and the eating together was so important and, it, and yeah america we um we don't like to be touched Mm-mm. or to touch the other or especially nowadays too you know it's like 
going down to South America, even into where they give you two kisses on both sides of the cheek, whether you're boy, girl, doesn't matter. That's the greeting, and it's nothing weird about it. We're here. After living down there, that I, I would... You stopped kissing people. Yeah, I stopped you made kissing them people because people, I could feel like people would be very weirded everyone. out. They wouldn't know how to react and be like, you know, so... You know, that was my brother. It's funny, growing up, I think I kind of got social cues a little bit better. My brother would just do what he did at home, which was also a very touchy-feely kid, and it was much harder for a guy, and he didn't know another way, so there were a few times I had to get him out of some trouble. <laughs> so <the guy laughs> yeah. Was like, um, but yeah, just cultural differences in learning you know, your, your way around. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Hey, guys, um, you're listening to the Tetsa Sherbert Experience on Full Service Radio, and we're talking to Rose Prebit. She's the owner of award-winning restaurants Compass Rose and Maidan in Washington, D.C. We'll be right back. Stay tuned. to the Dolcezza Sherver experience on full service radio. We are live from the Line Hotel and today we are with Rose Previtt. She's the owner of award-winning restaurant Compass Rose Restaurants and Maidan in Washington, D.C. And we were talking to Rose about her family and how food runs in her DNA, basically. I mean, it was very meant to be. Um, but You had a deviation, right? You you study public policy, so <laughs> it wasn't so direct as um, many of us went through. We also had our um, turns along mm -hmm. the way. So in the early 2000s, you moved to D.C. to start a career in public policy, and that's where you were bartending on Capitol Hill. Is that where you met your husband? Sure was. I was his waitress first, and then okay. his bartender, but yes. Oh, so you actually okay. meet your soulmate at the bar. I met. did. It, 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 it figured that there was some kind of eating establishment that brought us together, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so how did you meet? I mean, he was there. How was the whole Oh, you guys. I'm, I'm really, first of all, glad he's not here, so you can just hear my side of this, <laughs> and just know it is the accurate one um, <laughs> there's two sides to the story no, he, he likes to think there is but there isn't um, he yes I had just I really just moved I was doing an internship for Human Rights Watch to finish my college credits I convinced a professor to you move from Ohio to DC okay um, oh because I also went to college in Ohio ah okay sorry yeah at the same school in well, the same town that's awesome which is also part of why you know the international part comes in because as soon as I could I you were like I'm out of here yeah. people And it was, you know, again, dad, college professor, went for free. It was it was not my choice, but, you know, obviously I had a great experience, and I'm glad it worked out the way it worked out now. But the minute I could, I convinced this professor to uh, let me get the rest of my credits by working at Human Rights Watch, but they couldn't pay me. And so I started waiting tables because that's all I knew how to do because in addition to my family's businesses, I had also waited tables through, you know, college. So that's my fallback when I need money. And I started working at a place called Politiki, which is very old school. If, you, if anyone listening remembers that, we're all dating ourselves. It turned into the poorhouse not long thereafter. It was a Steelers bar on Sundays. My husband is a huge football fan. And when you're the newbie, you get Sunday football games. That's what you do. And he started coming in with his friends. And every week started sitting in my section. You know, it's the old... The old MO, he would sit there, stay after, help me roll silverware, all this stuff, but like never asked for my phone number. I thought the girl he was coming in with, I was like, maybe they're dating because he seems to not ask for my phone number. He seems to like me. I don't know. And then the team, they were not going to the playoffs. It was over and it was the last game. And he finally, um, 
his friend, the girl I thought he was dating, turns out, came up to me and said, look, my friend has been scared to death to ask for your phone number this whole time. <laughs> so and that's the part he doesn't I, yeah, like to tell. Yeah, exactly. There you go. The, the dude in the room <laughs> is like, it. yeah, Rob is having like male, like, oh, I understand. for him. We're not afraid of anything. No, no, no. But the, the friend came over, like high school style, to be like, can you please give him your phone number? I was like, this is so pathetic. Why would I even do this? But I did. And I mean, I look back and I'm still like, what were you thinking? And then he, he so he gets the number. I said, you guys call me. I made it more vague. He swears he belabored over what did you guys mean? Because he didn't call for five days. Five days? And I'm like a 22-year-old working in a bar. I give out my phone number and like, you know, of course. rapid response. Five days <laughs> um, before he calls. I give him like a Monday night date. We go to L'Oreal Plaza. Oh, yeah. So many back in the day. OG. It was like an okay date. I tried to speak Spanish to impress him because I'd also, I did study abroad in Spain in college. So I also got out of Ohio a little bit to do that. And I, you know, he's 26. He's a White House correspondent. He went to Harvard. I am like barely out of college. I have nothing <laughs> compared to him. So Hola. I, yeah. So I start talking <laughs> to the waiter. Salsa, por favor. Yeah, except that he tells me later he thought I was flirting with the waiter. I'm like, dude, I was trying to impress you. <laughs> this, is, this is all wrong. Everything is wrong. Our second date was at the Haleo in Chinatown. Mm, and that one went up. much better. That one went much better. And that was 15 years ago. We had our 11-year wedding anniversary last weekend. Uh, congratulations. congratulations. 11 you. years. That's yes. awesome. Crazy. Yeah. So then they sent him to Russia. He's an NPR correspondent, right? And yep. you basically abandoned your life and ran with him because of love, which I completely identify. I bet you do. hundred <laughs> percent. Still that, running. That's why I'm here, <laughs> by the way. Yeah. So, so tell me about that experience. I know it was hard for you. I know there were a lot of difficulties, but I know there was a lot of inspiration as well. So, well, yeah, it again, all so many of these things we're talking about in retrospect, you know, turned out. But life is funny that way, right? When you go through hardships and then they inform so much who you are. Well, you know, when you look back, um, and I don't want to cut from the thread no, no, that you're no. about to dive into, but it's like you always really it's mostly the difficult times that that, that you talk about, not the good times. It's always the difficult that after said and done, there's a, there is also you, a romantic view of it, but it's a lot of the times the difficult times inform you much more than the good times and right. the easy times. Yeah, we're not sitting here talking about all the like lovely, simple things that happened in my life, right? We're going to talk about the, the, the ones that really formed that, who we are. Yeah. And that was, that was hard because I had just finished graduate school. I love local government, so that was what I, I had gone into it. I interned here in D.C. for the city council. We had just moved to New York, too. We'd only been in New York a year because David was covering the financial crisis in 2008. And after almost to the day, a year later, he, and I was working, liking my job and policy, and he you know, came home and said, remember how I always wanted to be a foreign correspondent? And remember how those bureaus are really hard to get because you know, now in the days with you know, print journalism and even radio, they don't have that many bureaus outside the country. He's like, well, there's one available and it's in Moscow and I would really like to go and how do you feel about that? <laughs> I'm like, never in my life did I think I'd live in Russia. But I love the world. I love traveling, and I thought, because I had studied abroad in Spain, that I assimilated really well to other cultures. But let me tell you that Russia does not even want you to assimilate. Like, there's, there is a whole that is not study abroad, friends. So I, but I wanted to be, you know, I wanted to support his dreams, and I thought I could figure it out. I couldn't work. I couldn't get a visa. I'm like 30. We don't have kids. I'm super ambitious. And I did start to feel like I had just kind of lost myself a little bit. I was following this guy with this amazing career. And we're married. I mean, I'm in it, you know. But I got really frustrated, a little bit resentful. Still working on that, but we're okay now. Um, <laughs> but we, we traveled. It's natural. I mean, it's like that's, that's um, the expected like, reaction that would happen in a situation I don't know like why. That. I truly didn't expect it. I just thought I'd find a job or something. But Russia was just, I didn't study the place before I went. Didn't know the language. Hadn't read a, a book on Russia. What was I thinking? It's just a bit much harder place to fit in if you are not a student or like a Russophile or, you know, from the region. So I really struggled. And um, I just traveled to kind of fill the time. And, and that's how you fell in love with street food? It was during yeah. those times? Well, other than my, you know, my childhood. Other than child your whole life. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but it just turned out, as David and I, you know, a couple years in, are talking about maybe this restaurant could actually happen when we go back to the States. We kind of look back on our travels and all of the food 
the food was always tied to a memory. And it reminded us of some, again, unexpected thing that happened that you actually thought was bad at the beginning, like getting lost and ending up in a dark alley that you think you might get killed in, but you're in Sicily and actually you just found the best pizza of your life. And, you know, those were the Aren't stories. And those the best meals? Yes. And the ones like, that you stumble upon. And, and you that's just, the food that we would try to put yeah. on the menu because, and all the things on the first menu came from those, th we went to like 30 countries in three years. Didn't you go to Argentina at one point? Our My honeymoon. country of origin? I love Argentina. We did go on our honeymoon um, for a week. And I, I did tell you I got robbed there, right? And it was really traumatic. Yes. Mm. So other than that, yeah, I really like <laughs> <laughs> um, But that's, see, that's part of traveling. Again, like you just take the good with the bad. Like, yeah, your bag might get stolen and they might ransack your hotel room. But I stayed anyway. I was like, we're going to see this place. Um, but the stuff from our trip is, you know, Eastern Europe to Asia to, to Mexico. It's all on there. And um, yeah, had it not been for those years, I don't know if that inspiration would have come. And, and D.C. being the city that it is so international I mean you right here are a perfect example of well-traveled people who work for the State Department the Foreign Service whatever it is they really connect to the restaurant and it makes me so happy when they they come in and tell me something reminds them of a trip they were on and I'm like but that's why it's on there because it reminded me of a trip and it's just really cool to hear them um, to connect like that so you open Compass Rose and it, it goes very well it does very well and then you open Maidan and you took your chefs around the world no Five countries, I think you said, not not around the world, but North Africa, um, the Middle East, um, a little bit of Asia, um, and and you took them to grandmothers' houses, and you want them to see these um, women who cook in their homes, and I love that because I felt like you know it's it's first you had this wave of you know with with Anthony Bourdain saying hey there's Mexicans cooking in the kitchens it's not really the chefs and recognize the Latinos. But women in their houses, I think this is a first, to me at least. I haven't seen this as a recognition of these voices, you know, these female um, characters that have been cooking their whole lives, and um, they're not even cooking at restaurants, um, and they are forgotten, and no one cares about their food. And you just have this vision of, you know, okay, guys, this is the food that we're going to do, and I think that's fantastic and very original. Oh, thank you. And, well, like I said, it's a tribute to my grandmother and mother, Um, they were the ones I wanted the chefs to learn how they cooked because I'm like, this is what we're trying to represent. And really the only way to do it is to cook with other grandmas. You know, mine's not here anymore. Uh, my mom did show them a couple things, but really it's, it's my soul food, right? And I knew if I was going to ask them to cook it, they had to feel it. And the only way to feel it would be to go there. And I just, I just so strongly believe in like the travel and experience informing what we do that there was no other way to do it. So they're brilliant, by the way. My chefs are amazing. Chris and Gerald, I, I can't imagine working with anyone else at this point. Um, they were so up for it and they just embraced the travel and absorbed it like sponges. And I can't believe the flavors they've been able to recreate. But we went um, to Morocco and Tunisia, to Lebanon, uh, Turkey, and Georgia. So in the Caucasus a little bit and you know there's a lot of reasons why we chose those countries but time and time again we would cook with these grandmothers and everyone would tell us even you know don't go to whatever you do don't go to a restaurant it's not that good there the men cook there that was a common thing especially in North Africa a Tunisian woman said that to me she goes oh yeah the restaurants are okay none of you know a lot of the developing world doesn't even have a restaurant culture it's street food or it's you eat at home there aren't like you can't go stage in like some Michelin-starred restaurant in Tunisia or Mariah, like it just doesn't happen. Um, where you really want to be is with these grandmothers. Like you said, the unsung heroes. Everyone says it's their favorite food, but how do you get access to it? And I think, in a way, yeah, we put a lot of very simple dishes on our menu at Maidan. Did you re what did you do? Was it spontaneous? Are you actually like how did you go around when you're in Tunisia how do you and find you, grandmas yeah how the hell do you find these grandmas <laughs> gonna that, let yeah I was wondering the same thing right. did you schedule grandmas on the visit how did you, how did you I'm gonna have a fixer that goes around and says hey here are the it's Americans like Yelp for grandmas <laughs> I should start I should start a website a service about this actually now that I think about it some of it was friends of friends um, again DC like you say you're going to Tunisia and in the restaurant 10 people are like oh yeah by the way I've been there I, blah, 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 and they just connected us to people But some of it was spontaneous. Yeah, we meet a guy. He said, my aunt makes the best charmoula in Tunisia, but it's a five-hour drive. Do you want to go? Sure. 
So Chris and I jumped in a car and drove. And you're five writing hours. recipes. You're like there. And Chris is scribbling from everything these women would say, and most of the time we had a translator. Um, but he's also it's technique. What's also amazing is the thing you cannot teach and you cannot find in a cookbook is this technique that is created over necessity. Right? You're one woman. You're cooking for ten, and you got you don't have enough to go around and you figure out how to stretch your soup or you have a really fast method for making your naan because you have, you're, you're alone, you're the only woman in the house and you're cooking for 10. And you know, we found these little techniques and shortcuts that would be impossible to learn otherwise. And that was the real richness that we got. And the guys, again, just were so respectful. Now I will tell you too, it was hard sometimes. I have two male chefs and we're in a region of the world where sometimes it women would not even let them in. Um, we weren't allowed to take a lot of pictures sometimes. It was, you know, we learned a lot of cultural things that we needed to sort of navigate the area. We made some really good friends and, and had just such memorable experiences. So we hope we do them justice in the restaurant. That's really what we want to do. But we, we always say that, you know, survival makes you very creative. Yeah. And so that's right? what we miss sometimes in America. We miss it when things become very easy and then we're all... Yes very cushion and pumper and you guys are it's like you were on the trip with us back into these stories that the women would tell that was another thing every bit of the recipes we got was had a story of conflict in every country that we went to in north africa it was the arab spring we did it like this except during the arab spring we couldn't get this so now we do it this way in lebanon it was the civil war in um, georgia it was soviet times everyone had a story of oppression that changed the way they did something mm. or they taught us something that came out of a shortage it was amazing like i mean every, and they didn't know each other this was completely spontaneous and just so honest and genuine and that's so awesome such a good idea to do that with chris and gerald as far as you take them there to the places and and it's not you telling them them having their own experiences and turning them on from the inside that's everything oh 100%. You know, to, to really get them to see what you saw and to inspire and to motivate for them to come back here and try to recreate that oh yeah because then it's their own story exactly. it's their own experience i don't want them to recreate mine yeah. and i'll tell you then what was so powerful was that we were traveling in the middle of a current crisis the syrian refugee crisis in the part of the world that we were in is very tangible like we hear it on the news here but it was visible in lebanon my family is in the Bekaa valley which is full of refugee camps when i went last in 2012 that wasn't the case it was noticeable it was palatable you could feel it mm. then gerald goes to istanbul and ends up cooking with syrian refugees the entire time the city's about a million syrian refugees are in istanbul right now they have actually been picking up their businesses from Aleppo and Damascus and reopening them in, in Istanbul. So wow. Gerald, again, through a contact we just kind of made, a woman who's working with the Syrian community, kind of invited him in, and he ended up making more Syrian food in Turkey than Turkish food. But here we are in the middle of another crisis that is going to form eating patterns for hundreds It's of years to come. Create different cuisines and right. ingredients with the Syrian mixing with the Lebanese and, and that stuff wasn't planned this is just what it is this is just what happens when you open yourself up and you go out into the world and you just just like give it to me like I'm here to learn and it, these things just happen and it's so powerful yeah. there's one say that I love that is the more you see the more you're able to see yeah that's exactly what it was yeah yeah opening up um, so so street food right and, and I know a big theme for you is street food as a big equalizer and we're talking about these cultures that are not recognized that are almost forgotten mm -hmm. um, and abandoned um, so, so talk to me about what street food signifies for you well I love that I I, again, this village that I was raised in, everybody was really equal. There wasn't, a, there's not a poor side of town or a rich side of town. Everyone is kind of Midwestern at its, you know, at the core definition, sort of middle class. Everyone shares. It was a really beautiful way to grow up. So I didn't really know, like, the wealth of the East Coast. I didn't really know what that meant until I moved to D.C. And I was amazed at socioeconomic differences and things like that. It just hadn't been an issue to me. My first car my dad like basically was a barter a woman an older woman needed a will and she had no money and my dad would have written it anyway because most of his legal work in this small town he did for free or for like vegetables from someone's garden in this case it was a car she was moving into a nursing home and she's like i'm never going to drive my car again would you take it and that was my first car it was also like a cutlass supreme i think it was like 89 i mean it was really old and ugly and that was those my first are like car. the big boxy cars no oh two door i yeah. mean i could have killed a person if, you, if that door closes on you you're dead because yeah. like they're so heavy. heavy yeah so yeah. these are this is this is the way i was raised there's no better than and food my mother would have fed anyone a king or 
a homeless person the exact same way. And so I just believe so much. Like food is something we all share in common. We all have to have it. And so what I saw in a lot of these countries too was great socioeconomic discrepancies. Very rich and very poor. But the cool thing was in a lot of these town centers, Maidans, the meaning of the word Maidan and why I love it so much is people come together in the streets and in town squares and they eat. And there were national dishes that people were incredibly proud of that super poor people could afford, but rich people in their suits and their nice clothes would still go and get. And I thought that was one of those rare places you saw in some of that developing world um, was on the streets with the food. And I'm like, wow, this really equalized everybody. They're all proud of it. And no one is better than anyone else for a few yeah, minutes. Yeah, and that's the great thing about food. As far as it doesn't matter where you come from, the differences that you have, you can all sit down and share good food. Yep. You know, And maybe through that, strike up conversation and connection that there would not otherwise be. And it's accessible, street food. I yeah. mean, you, not all these people could do that. Those, there's so many people that couldn't come into this, couldn't come to Rick's Progress. And we know that, right? Yeah. But street food is something that even poor people can afford and, and rich people search out. In, the, in my experiences and probably a lot of other people that are in food, there's like, that's the best. Yeah. I mean, it's the best food that I've ever had on this planet. Always. Traveling is always in the street. It always. Is. It really, really yeah. is. Yeah. So you come back from your trip and you're super inspired and you think about your next restaurant and you have this vision of fire. So <laughs> talk to me about that and how did you find the space for Maidan and was how, how different was it to open a second location after what you had been through with Compass Rose? <laughs> I was a little traumatized um, and I wasn't really looking. I had a developer come to me. He said, you know, I see what you did here at Compass. I think you might like this old building I have. And I did doubt him because he's a rich guy, and I was like, you don't understand me, there's no way. What do you, what do you know about what I like? You know, I was like really cynical, because it, it was just so fancy to work with a developer. And I went down to the Manhattan Laundry development that he was working on, and I did. It was like love at first sight, but mainly because I saw the opportunity for fire. At Compass Rose, I wanted fire. I wanted to cook outside so badly, because it's street food. It's supposed to be cooked over fire outside. A city would not, like, I came up with a few plans. They kiboshed everything. So I eventually- After the liquor license, they were like, Oh yeah, we gave you the liquor license, girl. The liquor license is not the end of it. Like I swear to you, I got like pushed back on everything. Anything that's kind of outside the box doesn't always fall into a category. So they don't know what to do, and so you know, I gave up. I, we ended up closing in the back of the restaurant, and it, it, it's lovely now. But I still wanted the fire and. There are two these big steel beams that go to the ceiling at Maidan, and I just I saw this old steam shaft, and I asked the realtor, I'm like, does that go to the roof? And I can't tell you why, other than like it's one of those moments where you just know something's gonna work. And she said yes, and I knew that could be the hood system, which you know, when opening a restaurant, your hood system is always the bane of your existence. It's one of the most expensive things. It's never easy to put in. And I said, if it fits in into that space that's already there, we're golden and the fire is going in the middle of the restaurant. And I just saw it because it, it, I had this idea of the square and the coming together and the community aspect of people coming together like they do around the world. Because, you know, if you're in anywhere else, like in Kiev, where I spent some time, um, for North Africa, and, and they use the word Maidan to, to express these squares or, or meeting places. They go there for public celebration, right? When there's a presidential election, you always see on the news, everyone floods into the street. You see it for mourning when someone dies, and then you see it for rebellion. And these are some of my, these are the most human things outside of food that I would love to put together in a space. And we don't have those in America. And I thought, what if I could mimic that feeling just a little bit? And the restaurant is sort of a square, and the fire's in the middle, just like a lot of those great squares have street food right on them. You nailed it. You're right you there. nailed it, really. When Bialette and I went several months ago, it was just you know you go back into the um into the restaurant and we were we got back in the back corner awesome seat and it was just such an amazing amazing environment that didn't feel like dc at all and it reminded me i told bialetta it reminded me of being down in buenos aires and you went back mm-hmm. and take a, a back alley and behind a cinder block wall and kind of you have the restaurant and the fire there. It's, it's an amazing space, amazing feel. Thank so you, you, you definitely nailed it. That's what we were going for. And it, it's, again, very genuine because I, I think those, if we tried too hard, it would feel contrived and it really was never meant to be. We had to figure it out as we went along. There is no 
I mean, I'll give the city credit here because they did let me put the fire in the middle of the room. But tell us exactly, like, what, what did it take? How, what's the size of that fire? For somebody listening that has never been to your restaurant. It's a pretty big fire. Um, we, I don't know, I don't remember the exact foot. It's like three by three, maybe four by four. It's hard to remember because we just did it as we were going because we had no idea what was going to fit. What We didn't even know what materials, You know, the, the oven or the, the, um, the place where the fire is, is mm-hmm. that, is that, inspired by or anything like the, the type of oven that they have the construction from the town centers where you um, well the, the bread ovens are the bread ovens are called tones in georgia they're very much tandoori ovens which uh-huh. is the more familiar um the exact same style you cook the bread on the hot clay the sides of the wall and again there's an amazing history of how that oven made its way from like india and the middle east up into the caucasus but um we studied bread baking in georgia five days of just cooking with different women literally you love georgia don't you i yes. love my yeah. georgia i do i'm leaving on sunday <laughs> that's where back. i'm from <laughs> georgia other the georgia um but they yeah so for five days these women have tony ovens in their backyards and the guys just baked with each of them So I'd say that really the hearth is a collection of a lot of the experiences we had with having street food on that trip in my past trips. But when the chefs and I were together, it just we always ran into people cooking outside and we kind of put all those mental images together. Some of it was limited by materials there. You know, we had to find out something that could hold up to this inside. And some of it was is reg, you know, regulation based. Um, so it's kind of a mix of all of those. You, things. It feels like that too. Now that I'm like, <laughs> we just made it up to, as we went yeah, yeah. Now that I'm listening to you say it and then me going back in, when I went into the restaurant, it, it feels like you're like came upon someone's backyard and they have a big grill out and they're cooking. I mean, it really, it has like that looseness to it, you know, yep. that kind of pot pourri put together. Um, yeah, because there's it. no models. Like, you can't just look it up in a book and be like, this is how you build a hearth. Right, really this is it. the oven that we're going to build mm. and have it installed. That's awesome. We gave the city the best guess that we could, and mm-hmm. then from there it changed a lot just oh, based yeah. on yeah, based on space. So um, thank you for your kind words. We really do love it. And it was one of those things that it did come out like it was in my mind's eye. And somehow Chris and Gerald and I and Mike, my business partner, we kind of had the same. We could all see it, even though it wasn't on paper, which was cool. I, that process is amazing yeah. to me. Every time we build a shop or do any kind of design for packaging, it's like, I don't, I, I actually don't see it, what it's going to be in the beginning. And then as you get into it, it defines itself. There's mm-hmm. like this finding of almost like, a, like the sculpture, you know, taking a slab of marble and, and cutting away to the to the to the figure inside that exactly. marble it's like you slowly kind of just remove the layers and it defines itself well and to that point and this is something that again people that have done build outs can appreciate this you know and i don't blame the city or the architects for wanting your plan ahead of time i understand why but that takes away so much of the spontaneity and it puts you in such a box and you hear I'm, that bialetta I, I, I get reamed for that well, it's whole hard to work thing with that us. you talk about well, because, because the creative you go over budget you can't creative <laughs> no, it's can't hard plan i plan Yep. And tell you six months before what it's going to no. look like because it's like we don't know what it's, it's going to really look like. And, and it is, it's, a, it's like, oh, as much living as you with the res- spontaneous artist. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you love it. You know, you love it. Bureaucracy is way you over. You guys right. work together, which is amazing. My husband and I can never work together. This is when I say, because the designers and architects, I mean, they, only special people can do this because I'm difficult because for the oh, same yeah. reason. It's like, I just need to see how it looks first. I can't yeah. tell you because that. Because once you see it, then you're mm-hmm. going to know which way to take it or scrap it all together and go another direction, which and, has happened a lot for me. And one of the cool things that keeps happening in old buildings is always something unexpected, oh, yeah. right? But what I, the one thing that I, like the lesson I take away in that I think applies to my life as well is like don't see this thing as an obstacle see it as an opportunity because I mean from a pillared right in the middle of the room to you know it could be a, a wall that we didn't know needed to come down and pillars were going to go in its place you just look at them and you're like okay well I'll just put some tile on that then it's going to be a mosaic yep. <laughs> you know but I had to and see give, it that's first. what gives it the actual exactly. uniqueness and the character to it is those um those obstacles that pop up and how you address it Gives the space that feel that's oh unique. Gosh. Feel that is like, how did I let Rose in here? She's encouraging him so much. Yeah, oh, no, you have no We're going to do the next restaurant. <laughs> no, no, no. So he's building a skateboard ramp right now in my backyard. And there oh. is a tree in the middle of the backyard. And the trees are staying there. Yeah. And everything is built around it. Oh, I love that. <laughs> so we're using the tree to skateboard, you know, it's like excreting. Contours and yes. terrain to shred. Yeah. That's perfect, though. Yeah. So, no, that's how we live life. It's all good. I mean, I love it. I no, love I, it. But, but I'm, I'm very much, you know, the, the person 
person that needs to pay the bills. And and, and to plan and, so and to organize. So I and I understand both sides of it, right? Of so course. it's like and it's I always there is no way of getting around that tension. So it's just like who can who can be okay with this tension that is and mm-hmm. that shouldn't be any different and then go forward with it and that is the best solution. And that's where the result. magic happens, yeah. right? Exactly. So. Yeah. And it's give and take. And when you oh, respect yeah. each other, like Mike, my business partner and I, we're really different. But we respect the hell out of each other. Yeah. So like we meet in the middle and then we you make need these both, really nice Because if it's just mm-hmm. the idea and the vision, that can't be a sustainable business that needs to pay its bills you nope, know because you see those places all the time right and, it's and like, the ones yeah. that are all business paying the bills there is it doesn't have the no magic soul. so <laughs> if the, the, the gold in all of it is like to have the visionary creative there and then the operations below the hood of it so in tune so fine-tuned exactly. oiled and and that's the magic right that there magic. to have a beautiful thing that actually runs so, so Maidan um, had gotten a lot of recognition recently um, you were named number one restaurant by food and wine and number two restaurant in America by Bon Appetit which is incredible <laughs> Um, we were together in both occasions, which is bizarre. It was really funny. Yes. Yeah. So what were the repercussions? I mean, how is your life changing with this success? And what opportunities yeah, is this bringing to you? Yeah, do you see the direct results of those um, awards as far as your restaurant and the business? Absolutely. It was very unexpected, and we are all, as a team, so, so grateful for it. Because it was... It I was remember Chris had a picture of Alice Waters there, too. That yeah, was another she's big moment. Down, yeah, she's the Obamas. Like, yeah. it's just... It's been really special, and I think... I say I look like a deer in headlights all the time. I think I'm just happily overwhelmed, and I have been for nine months, because it's kind of started from the minute we opened. Um, and I said, you know, as an entrepreneur... You expect the worst case scenario all the time, always. What if they don't come in the door? What if I can't do this? What if I can't do that? You never, ever plan for the best case scenario because how could that possibly happen? And, and we have definitely gotten as close as you can get to the best case scenario, which is the tangible side has been people coming in the door, a lot of them. To the point that I had to hire people I didn't know I was going to need, like a reservation specialist and a front door manager. I didn't know that was going to be a thing. I didn't know I was going to need three hosts on every night just to manage the intake of people. And we're not like some of the more fine dining places where it's like, these are the reservations we have and that is it. We want walk-ins. We want our neighbors to be able to stop by. So we have to manage both. That's complicated. The front door has been a whole thing. You know, making enough lamb shoulders. Now that the lamb has been featured in these publications, some people are coming just for it. But we're a small, quirky restaurant. There is a limit on how much you can produce. And, you know, things like that. We're still learning. Um, but there, the repercussions have been that. More people than we expected, which is a happy problem to have. And there's literally no complaining coming. Just a lot of lessons. And I, it's, again, I speaking for the guys and myself, also there's probably like a little bit of confidence. We're like, oh, okay. You know, to get the affirmation and say like, oh, you, you do know what you're doing. Because you just feel like you never know what you're doing. Yeah. And then for all these people to say, no, 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 we like it. It's cool. I think professionally, the guys and I feel pretty good, you know, yeah. like this is a thing that we, we pulled it off, you know, so. Well deserved, Thank well deserved. You. So what is next for you, Rose? <laughs> the million dollar question. <laughs> um, I tell everybody, like we're one year, my Don will be one years old in one year old in November. You're thinking yeah. about getting pregnant again? Uh, <laughs> no, I'm thinking about taking a nap. <laughs> uh, I just want to take a nap and then I'm going to talk about what happens next. So there's nothing on the horizon right now. Um, I, Chris and Gerald, I believe, will have some of their own projects down the road. I would love to support them and, and support whatever they want to do next while we of course we're still running the two restaurants um and we'll see i have this cheesy thing that it's very true i I would like to see i think a compass rose in each point in the compass that's right like north south east and west that's really all i want um so we'll see if that happens so so like the compass rose so like explain that a little bit more like on each point of the compass so where well i West, in the world, you in mean? The, in the world or in the country. Right. Or in the country. Because <laughs> the, the compass rose is about, right, the compass is the travel. The rose is what the nautical compass is actually called. It happens to be my name. That's where I came from. But so really, compass rose in the Arctic. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe just like Detroit. Tierra de Fuego. Well, I have this little dream of like one in Detroit. I have a little yeah, dream of one in a LA. Bit Nothing's, yeah, I don't, my Don, I, that might just be one and done. I think she's just going to be there because that was such a confluence. It's of, a she. Yeah, well, actually, it's funny you say that. We actually say Compass is the she and Maidan's the boy. Oh, okay. So I don't know why I did that. Vi- it's binary. The it's new thing. Maybe that's it's the it. new thing. There, there we go. Every day we're a different gender. It just depends on what day you wake up and how she or he or 
the it pronoun changes. that you, the appropriate pronoun is it feeling. Ha- it has a little bit more masculine feel to it. I think it, fire. I mean, with the fire, the primal, the boys behind the fire. We have a female sous chef though, so let me give Maggie a shout out because you don't see that very often. She takes on the fire fearlessly, and that's it's I, very physically taxing. And she's pretty amazing. I love fire. I was always see? like the pyro when I was eyes. a kid. I yeah, <laughs> I would be like on a you know we would go in the camp and trips and i would always be the one that would have to get the fire and downpouring rain and you would start your own fire oh yeah i would i'd learn yeah. how to do bow drill yeah. fires without matches or lighters and just like spin it and get friction and light the kindling you are welcome to come play i love primitive. my uh, andy my other business partner who was not a restaurant guy um you know who's a, an investor was just he really wanted to be behind the fire and he bugged me i'm like not during service dude like you cannot do it so we did after food and wine came out we did and you know and just like a staff appreciation it was just so unexpected. We were so thankful. And we've been working so hard that we just took a day. We closed the restaurant, but we stayed, you know, we had the party at the restaurant. The guys wanted to cook for the staff. Um, Danny Lee, who owns Chico and Mandu, came in and did Korean barbecue on the fire for a oh, night. Yeah. So he got to play on the fire. And that's the night I let Andy do it. Within two minutes, his shirt was soaked through. He's like, it's so hot. I'm like, dude, I know. It's that's hardcore. why I told you you shouldn't be behind the fire. But he stuck it out. He stuck it out. He drank a lot of water. He has not asked to go back behind the fire again. But I'm Lesson telling you, learned. if you want to come give it a try, oh, let me I'll know. play with fire. Okay. I, 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 could play with Chris in the fire all day long. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Rose. Oh. It's been wonderful talking to you. Thank you for coming. This is really fun. Yeah, yeah, thanks for coming and hanging out and talking with us. Please. And congratulations on everything. It's really, it's well deserved because it really is legitimately beautiful spaces, great food, and just a great experience. So, well, thank you for getting yeah. what we're doing. Yeah, if you guys yeah. are in DC, you should definitely go to Compass Rose and Maidan. They're both amazing restaurants yeah. from amazing Rose. Beautiful places. <laughs> yeah. So, well, thank you so much. Yeah. Have Hope a good to see trip. you guys soon. Come visit me in we the restaurants. Will. I'm trying to get out more, but I'm still there a Date lot. Date night. So see me. Yeah. I missed your last one. So come yeah, back in. Next time. We'll, we'll have another back. one. Yeah. We'll awesome. come back for the anniversary or something like and that. And thanks for listening and everyone out there. Be kind to one another. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this program on Full Service Radio. Broadcasting and recording from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. Full Service Radio programming can be accessed live and archived on fullserviceradio.org. Our talk programming is available on most podcast apps like iTunes and Stitcher, and our DJ sets are available on mixcloud.com slash fullserviceradio. Full Service Radio features over 30 weekly shows and over 50 local hosts covering every topic imaginable. If you want to be a guest or get involved, email us at info at fullserviceradio.org. Follow us on Twitter at Full Service RDO, on Instagram and Facebook at Full Service Radio. Thanks for listening.